This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. All right, everybody. Today it is December 16th. Had a lot of news come out from the Fed this week. Obviously, we saw a 50 basis point hike. Expecting a couple more um, coming into this coming year. Dow has fallen down 300 points so far this Friday. We're really looking at two straight weekly losses. So I imagine we'll end the year kind of in this negative 15% category. Uh, By the way, this will be the last podcast of the year. So uh, when we're out, we won't be back until January. Uh, Tim, you know, you just wrote an article on a lot of what the Fed's done this week. This has obviously yeah. been big move. Uh, it was a buy signal a couple of weeks ago. Let's just kind of talk about what's manifested. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Fed was the big news. I mean, one of the things I said in my essay this week is I'm not really in a position to give a lot of trading advice, but one thing I can tell you is stop betting on the pivot because Powell goes to great pains every time to say we're not pivoting because we got a lot of work to do. I just want to read a couple of things that came out of the pressers, uh, out of the Q&A. Powell said, we have a structural labor shortage out there. You know, 4 million fewer people, a little more than 4 million who were in the workforce available to work, uh, then there's demand for workforce. I'm, I'm reading that correctly, verbatim. It doesn't read that well. He went on to say, Look at average hourly earnings we got with the last payroll report. You don't really see much progress in terms of average hourly earnings coming down. And then at the last, he said, uh, part of it is just accelerated retirements. People dropped out that aren't coming back. He talked about the half a million people who were in the labor force who died from COVID. And then at the end, and I thought this was interesting, he wrote, we don't prescribe, you know, it's, it's not our job to prescribe things. And he's talking about speaking to Congress. But I think if you ask businesses, Pretty much everybody you talk to says there aren't enough people. We need more people. So I tried to identify that in my speech I gave a month ago, but I stopped short of telling Congress Congress what to do because, you know, they gave us a job and we need to, you know, do that job. In other words, he's saying, look, all we can really do as the Fed, as monetary policymakers, is crush demand. What we really need is a thoughtful congressional response on immigration and anything else that we could possibly do to get people back into the workforce. Look, the issue here is that we do have a worker shortage, and that is driving a lot of why we have such persistent inflation. Um, So I thought that was really, really interesting. You also had Howard Marks in his memo come out and talk about how over the last 40 years, the biggest driver of returns of these great returns that we've got has been declining inflation. And he's making the same point that I've been making, that a lot of people have been making, is we're not going to have declining inflation from here. So you should expect that the kind of returns and the kind of strategies that delivered those returns over the last four decades are probably going away. And then one other thing that I just wrote about in the essay is just about, you know, these this headlines about nuclear fl- fusion. And not to say that, you know, it changes anything about the energy dynamic in the next five or probably even the next 10 years, but productivity does come. And just like risk, it comes slowly and then it comes all of a sudden. And ultimately, when people ask me, what do I need to see to really get more bullish? 
it is greater productivity. Productivity has sucked for the last decade, and it's really sucked this year. And we need much more productivity because we're not going to find, you know, these four million workers out of nowhere. Ultimately, we need a hell of a lot more productivity uh, in order to generate more output with fewer workers. Yeah. How big of a deal do you think nuclear fusion is? It seemed to me, I mean, it's been the biggest, at least in green tech, you know, it's the most revolutionary. I think they've been looking at it really in some capacity since the 1930s. So, I mean, it's been, you know, not quite 100 years, but this has been decades and decades and decades of research and R&D. Yeah, that's not a good question for a political science major. You're going to have to ask somebody who's a hell of a lot smarter than me. But, I mean, look at how little progress we've made on just making affordable nuclear. Everybody out there likes to say we need more nuclear, we need more nuclear. Well, there's a reason why we haven't built nuclear plants. This whole promise of modular nuclear and these Japanese modular nuclear – It just hasn't come. It hasn't come in a way that you can affordably or at least relative to other energy based technologies out there make an argument for. I love the idea of nuclear. I love the safety of nuclear. But there's a reason why we haven't built nuclear plants in this country. The the uh, the Vogel plant down in I think it's in Georgia built by Southern Company, how that's bankrupted companies and it's been delayed for a decade. I think it's finally starting to come online now, at least parts of it, but I mean, that's been a disaster. And it's had billions and billions of overrun. And that unfortunately is the reality of nuclear technology. Now, I understand nuclear fusion is something else, but it just gives you a, a sense of how hard this stuff is. But, you know, look at, uh, look at, um, look at the oil, not the oil sands, but look at fracking technology. That was kind of nowhere, you know, this idea that we were going to get a whole lot out of oil shale and forever it was seen as a ridiculous science project. And then all of a sudden it started to work and it's changed everything about the energy dynamic for for the United States. It's made us a net exporter and, and to some degree really much more energy independent. So, you know, as I say, it happened slowly and then all of a sudden. So in terms of inflation you know we really were at the lowest level since august 2021 central bank survey of consumer expectations indicated that respondents seen one year inflation running at around 5.2 percent uh you know in october it was five nine and you know it's based off of real numbers um things seem to be cooling down quite a bit real question of course is housing's lagging indicator as we've discussed so how much are we you know, how recessionary are we right now? And you yeah. know, are we being too aggressive? But as you know, the statements have said, certainly seem that inflation's cooled down a little bit. Yeah, inflation's definitely cooled down a little bit on the good side. And medical cost uh, inflation has come down a little bit, but that's much more about statistical quirks. But obviously, freight has come way down. Freight costs have come down like 90% freight coming from China. Obviously, oil has come way off the boil though we see today that the Biden administration is going to start refilling the SPR uh, mm-hmm. down at these levels. So at least for now, it looks like they put together a pretty damn good trade. China is going to be coming back online. One would assume that creates a greater demand uh, for commodities here. So much of, of short-term inflation expectations are really driven by gas prices. I just I just feel like economists put a little bit too much into expectations because they are so influenced 
by short-term moves in gas prices. As Powell said, goods inflation, we're doing great. Inflation is going to continue to come down. He understands that, that, that OER, owner's equivalent rent, is lagging because they, they do see the whole series, not just new rents. Um, but he acknowledged that, yeah, we can see on a month-over-month basis, rents are coming down, housing prices are coming down. That'll have a huge impact on inflation. But core services, ex-housing, ex-medical, that's where the big wage component is, and that's where he's telling you we haven't made any progress. And I think if you look at the auto market and you look at how much the auto market is rolling over, that's a good tell for the consumer. And I think it tells you that some of the some of housing coming off the boil, and let's remember, housing is up 38% in the United States since the beginning of the pandemic. That is a crazy number. You can't tell me that when you more than double the cost of capital, housing prices aren't gonna come in. They are coming in. I think that has a meaningful wealth effect. You are also really starting to run down savings in a very meaningful way. I think consumer demand is clearly rolling over, and I think you'll see actually an inflection in consumer demand rolling over even harder here as we get into the fourth quarter, we get through the fourth quarter, and you start to hear companies talking about real-time demand. I think it's gonna look really weak on the consumer side. And consumers remain pretty optimistic about expectations of finding a job in case they lose their current position. Um, That's sitting at 58.2%, which is going to be a lagging indicator, of course. We're eventually going to see layoffs if we haven't already. Um, Although workers, labor still seems to have some strength, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, earnings, earning power, for sure. Yeah. I mean, hell, I mean, you're still at, and Powell talked about it a couple times yesterday, you're still at 1.7 job openings to job seekers. So you still have a really strong job market. And, you know, you look at the Atlanta Fed's wage tracker, which I think is still running at like a 6.5% nominal, but on job leavers, it's much, much higher than that. So it tells you that there are industries where there are really acute shortages in labor and people who have the talent, who have the right uh you know, mix of capabilities have, a, have a, especially on jobs where you have to be there in person, uh, are doing much, much better. Uh, so I think there are going to be pockets, even through a recession, and I do expect the Fed is going to drive us into a recession. I don't think they have much choice. I think Powell kind of made that clear yesterday. Hell, the Fed is, is now targeting 0.5% growth for 2023 and higher unemployment. But I think there are still going to be industries in-person industries, especially where labor is going to stay real tight. And, you know, the Fed is going to be fighting and fighting and fighting that. And they're not going to get there to 2% inflation without a recession. You know, in a big change of events, talking about deficits and interest rates, world GDP, um, debt to GDP ratios actually have plummeted. You know, they still remain above pre-COVID levels, but from a variety of countries, especially in the developed world, you've seen those numbers improve a little bit. Yeah. Well, you saw them improve in 2021. The problem is, is tax receipts look like shit for 2022. And that's the reason why Treasury had to come out and say, you know what? We got to issue 50 percent more bonds than we thought we were than we thought we would over the coming months uh, because we don't have the receipts. So, you know, there, there is something very stimulative about giving away a lot of money. I mean, I think one thing we learned is that when you directly give people to 
money to people like we did uh, in, 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 in the pandemic, that that's going to have a really important impact on spending. And then, of course, you had really strong equity markets and investment markets uh, through 2021. So, so you had capital gains, you had tremendous collection. Collection has rolled over hard. So I think you will see, and uh, this isn't really as much of an expectation as it is a fact, deficits are moving sharply higher again. So you had a short period there where, where deficits looked better, but you're gonna see deficits and overall debt look worse again very shortly. What to make out of kind of this recent trend of de-dollarization, there's definitely been kind of a coming together relationship between Beijing and Riyadh in terms of Saudis might be accepting payments in Chinese yuan um, for crude exports. You know, obviously, the Saudis remain a relationship that we try and accommodate um, for better or yeah. for worse. And China's gone from a strategic adversary to just a straight adversary. Uh, so what's it mean just those two coming together and you see also other emerging economies uh, trying to get off the dollar, the greenback as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm in that camp of the dollar remains the cleanest dirty shirt. I know it's kind of a hacky phrase, but when you look at what would you rather be long in terms of global currencies, I can't think of anything that is in a sustainably better position. You know, U.S. treasuries are going to remain for all of the issues that we have the closest thing to the risk-free asset. I still think you want to own dollar-denominated assets. So, you know, and, and look, if, if you're if you're the Saudis, do you want to uh, get paid in a currency where the sovereign is propping up the value of that currency? That it doesn't. So you don't even have you you you're getting a currency that isn't at a natural market price. Hell no, you don't want that. So, I, you know, I think you'll still see um, a dominant dollar system here uh, for the foreseeable future. And I don't think that that China, I, I feel like Xi maybe is 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 realizing that he's gone too far here, that he really is going to be in trouble if he has a recession that gets out of control. He's got a real estate market that is going to continue to put a tremendous amount of pressure on that economy. Uh, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm just hoping this, but I feel like G. I feel like it's more likely over the next three six months that you're going to hear G sound more accommodative to the West uh, than than trying to align himself further with people like the Saudis and the Russians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in terms of Russia, it's Chinese have definitely backed off. Um, especially when you're looking at some of the chips they've been selling and technology. Uh, yeah. They're no longer supplying the Russians. I mean, their position is they don't supply some of that technology to anybody, but they placated the Russians for a little bit and they seem not to, uh, which yeah. is going to make upgrading a lot of this, those weapon systems a lot more difficult for the Russians. Yeah. You saw for a while exports from other countries to Russia collapse. And China was the only country where exports were still ticking up a little bit. And that hasn't changed. But again, I suspect that you're right. And they will make some more conciliatory measures to not make themselves some kind of a global pariah. 
you've got a country that is massively, massively dependent on exporting to Europe and to the United States in that order. And he just can't afford to make himself some kind of you just you don't have domestic demand. You don't have domestic consumption where they could make this this pivot, not to use the phrase, some pivot from exporting to in, in, internal consumption. That's something that hopefully for the Chinese will take will will occur, but it will occur over decades. Yeah, I mean, and the Chinese, there's things, I mean, who knows, 20 years from now, you look at Siberia, that's something that's commodity rich and people poor, and the Chinese are the exact opposite. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's been kind of, Chinese have kind of wanted the Sib Siberia in their wheelhouse for a while. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a collapsing Russia is, makes that more feasible. But. but it'll be interesting to see how much China become like, if everything was, we need commodities, you know, what is it, Belt and, Belt and Road, is that it? Yeah. You know, yeah, all yeah. of the investments that they made through emerging economies, all through Africa, it's to support this massive growth in manufacturing. And I'm not saying that they're not going to be a manufacturing and export powerhouse, but less and less. With deglobalization means more and more countries are going to be manufacturing or trying to manufacture more domestically and less reliant as China as a critical part of the supply chain. And don't forget, China also has a demographic reality that they are shrinking. You know, they ended the one child policy. And what happened? Fertility rates went down. So China is, is in a different position where they're no longer just trying to figure out how do we satisfy ever growing consumption. Consumption in China, I think over time, and I mean consumption for export, not domestic consumption, that's, I think it decelerates. And it's already decelerating. I think it continues to. Um, anything we should mention on the Hill? Obviously, McCarthy's trying to wrangle votes. We're in a lame duck session. Uh, what's the likelihood of you know him being able to secure, secure a platform? You know, I don't know. It, it, but it is interesting because he seems to have five Republicans who are super far right, who aren't going to want to pass anything. You know, McConnell is trying to get a, uh, a you know, a year end budget done so that, you know, they don't start right off in the new Congress where the Republicans are in charge of the House. And all of a sudden you're looking at some kind of a, a, a shutdown and a crisis. So McConnell, who is the consummate politician, is saying, look, let's just get this thing done so we can start with a clean slate. And McCarthy's got these guys on the far right who don't want to do anything, who, who don't want to pass anything. Uh, and he's trying to placate them, but it doesn't look like he's going to be able to placate them. So it is uh, it is wide open in terms of, of what can happen. I can't imagine that we're going to get some kind of a, a speaker who the Democrats, you know, are, are needed to confirm. I got to think the Republicans are going to figure this out. But, man, they are showing mm -hmm. every indication that they are incapable of governing because they got because they have a very slim majority in the House and they got a bunch of guys who don't want to govern. They don't want to govern. They want to blow this shit up. And they're going to and they just feel like anything that blows up, anything that goes bad gets blamed on the president. And so be it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to watch how this happens. I mean, there was hope a month ago that you could have gotten a budget uh, ceiling done. Well, that certainly isn't getting done. So now we are at least going to be in a position where come, you know, halfway through next year where you're going to run out of money. You're going to run out of room on the budget uh, on the on the debt ceiling. Uh, and my guess is you'll end up with a shutdown.
Yeah, I think it's distinctly possible. Um, obviously, there's flamethrowers within that caucus. We also saw some weirdness in Kristen Cinema Land. Uh, that was par for the course in terms of switching parties. <laughs> Not going to change the Democrat dynamic much in the Senate, but in 2024, it's going to make that election more difficult because you're going to have Ruben Gallego running, then you're yeah. going to have Resin Dependent, and the Republicans are going to run somebody. So, I mean, they either got to find a way to work with her or just sacrifice that seat. But um, that's. I don't know. Uh, Gallego, Gallego doesn't sound like he's looking to sacrifice that seat. He's like, I'm running. I'm running. Yeah, he's definitely uh, running. Uh, but, you know, you could end up with Carrie Lake. I mean, you know, you really could. Uh, and now the Republicans would be a lot smarter. Uh, if they put up somebody who uh, would poll better than Lake, because don't forget, she underperformed, uh, you know, other Republicans in Arizona. But either way, that's going to be a problem, uh, no matter how you look at it for 2024. But the more immediate thing is next year, you're probably going to have this debt ceiling issue. And more and more, as this as this Congress looks like it can't govern, it can't do the basic things that we need to govern it seems to me more likely that you have the kind of issues that we saw in the UK, where the bond vigilantes really said, like, hold on a second, guys, can you not get a fiscal house in order? Because if you can't, you're going to see some real sloppy auctions. and You could see an environment, you know, Larry Summers talks about the debt doom loop, where you have slower growth uh, and inflation coming down, and yet you see the long end of the treasury curve rates going higher because there's simply not the demand. I don't think that is the base case, but man, the more and more this Congress shows that it can't govern, I think the more likely that kind of scenario uh, does show up in 2023. Absolutely. Well, next time we get back online, I uh, will be 2023. Um, this is going to be it for our podcast this year. Uh, for all our listeners and subscribers here this year, thanks so much. Uh, for the likes, and, and we're out. We'll talk to you in 2023. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.